welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 29th of May 2011, entitled The Why and How of Missions, Part 2, The How. And the Bible reading is taken from Mark chapter 16, verses 15 to 16. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I invite you to stand with us to honor the reading of God's Word. Taken from Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Father, we thank you again this evening for this time that you've given us together. And Father, we pray now earnestly. Lord, as we approach this portion of Scripture, Lord, that is so vital to us. Lord, it's such a challenge to us. It's so important this evening, Lord, that we not only read it and hear it, but that we do what you ask of us. Father, we pray by the power of your Spirit that you would speak as only you can to each of our hearts here this evening. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray, amen and amen. Our thought today, both this morning and this evening, as we simply try in preparing our hearts for our missions conference that will be beginning on Wednesday evening of this week, our thought, the why and how of missions. This morning we, we looked at the why of commissions, of missions. Why why are missions so important? I've said a number of times, I think it was yesterday that I was talking with Tyler that, of course, most of you know that I, I love to preach. <laughs> I love to preach God's Word. And I know some of you wish I'd not love it quite so much sometimes and <laughs> slow down and hush up sometimes, but if there's anything in God's Word that is so near to my heart, that I love to preach, that I'm so passionate about. Of course, first and foremost is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And second is exactly what we're talking about today, getting that message of the gospel to every human being that we possibly can. And I tried to share simply this morning of why it was so important. We looked at three things, three reasons out of these of scriptures before us, one that is commanded. It's God that says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It is compassionate. He said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. There is only one alternative if they do not have the Lord Jesus Christ. And we said, thirdly, it is Christian. To be a Christian, not just in word only, but in deed. To be a true follower of Christ. To be an imitator of Christ. To truly be a Christian in action, not in words, is a reason that we must go into all the world. That is why that Jesus Christ came to us. And it was his last words to us before leaving was that we would go to the world. And we looked at a number of things there but I said this evening, I want to continue to share my heart with you. If this matter of missions, of getting the message of the gospel to the ends of the world, if it is so important, how do we do it? How can I? We ask the question, why is mission so important to me and to this church? We ask this evening, how? How can we be involved? And more specifically, how can I be involved? Well, may I say, first of all, how we can be involved is simply in our commitment. In our commitment. When Julius Caesar landed on the shores of Britain, and he came with all of his Roman legions. 
he took a step that many would have thought was crazy, but it was very bold, and it was very decisive. And he did it to ensure his military venture because he was committed to it. Once he had ordered his men onto the edge of the cliffs of Dover, he then commanded them to look down on the water below at all of the ships that they had sailed in on. They saw every ship that they had crossed the channel on engulfed in flames. They were set alight. They were burned before their very eyes. Caesar had deliberately cut off any possibility of retreat when his soldiers were unable to turn from the task before them, when they were unable to retreat and run to the continent. There was nothing left to do but advance and conquer because defeat was not an option. Now, that's what you call being pretty committed to a cause, to say the very least. And I realize and recognize, I'm fully aware that this word commitment goes against the grain of the flesh in so many ways. I fully realize that it's probably less popular in our day than it's ever been in history unless it's connected to me. Now, it's all right to be committed to me and what I want. But to be committed to a cause, to be committed to someone else, to be committed to something else, it goes against the grain. The truth is, as we look into God's Word and we look at this matter that we have before us of getting the gospel to the ends of the world, God has quite a lot to say about this matter of commitment. And He certainly showed us His commitment on the cross of Calvary. He showed us his full commitment to what he came to this earth for, to die for your sins and mine, to die and be the propitiation not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. And we saw this morning the only way, he says here, that it's only those that believe that will be saved. Those that don't will be damned for eternity, and we talked about that a bit. Jesus Christ came to prevent men from being damned. He was a propitiation not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. That was his cause. That was his purpose. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Can I say to you, as unpopular as it might be, and as hard as it is for our flesh to accept, there's some things in life that are worth being committed to. There are some things in life that we need to be committed to. Why should we be involved in missions if it's so vitally important if it's as important as what we looked at this morning, if it's as important as an individual either being saved and spending eternity in heaven or being damned and spending eternity in hell, then it is a cause that's worth being committed to. Now, I could say a lot, but I'm just going to have to skim some surfaces. I want to be an encouragement to you this evening has God showed you in your heart how important that it is that we get the gospel to people? Well, it doesn't matter how important it is if we don't see how that we can do something about it. First of all, you can do something in your commitment. The first way of being committed, committed to going. The very first words that he says, and he said unto them, go ye. Go, go. That speaks to each and every one of us here today that we ought to be willing to go 
to the very ends of the world, go ye into all the world and preach, proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ to every creature. We know the verse. We can quote the verse. We talk about it all the time this evening. If it's going to be accomplished, it's going to require more than just knowing about it. It's going to require more than just saying, yes, that's a good thing. It's going to require more than just thinking, wow, that's good that people do it. It's going to require each and every one of us recognizing God said that to me. And I need to be committed to go wherever, to do whatever it is that he wants to do with my life. We find that, well, there's so many excuses. We can look through the Scripture and we can find many excuses as God called upon men to go for him. But we find that in Isaiah chapter 6 and in verse 8, Isaiah said, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I. Send me. Now that wasn't a big speech. It wasn't a lot of words. It was a man of God that simply said in his heart, when God said, who will go? He said, well, here am I. Here am I. Send me. I wonder this evening, where have you thought that the rest of your life is taking you? What kind of things have the priority or what kind of things are you committed to in life? I'm asking you very simply. God said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I'm asking you very simply this evening, are you willing to obey that call? Are you individually, personally willing to go? You say, well, preacher, I'm not able. I've got this excuse or that excuse or another excuse. I want to read you an account a man by the name of Robert Reed, he made this simple statement one day. He said, I have everything I need for joy. I have everything I need for joy. You say, well, preacher, what's so unusual about that? Well, because when Robert Reed said that, his hands were twisted in such a way that they couldn't be used. His feet were totally useless to him. Robert Reed wasn't able to even bathe himself. He wasn't able to feed himself when he needed feeding. He couldn't brush his own teeth. He couldn't comb his own hair. He couldn't put on his own undergarments. There were strips of Velcro that held his shirts together. His speech was slurred. They said it drugged like an audio cassette that had put on too slow a speed because Robert Reed had cerebral palsy. You would look at him and you think, wow, you know, that verse doesn't apply to him. <laughs> that doesn't apply to Robert Reed. He can't do anything for himself, let alone anybody else. His disease kept him from driving a car, from riding a bike, from going on a walk, the things that we just take for granted so many times. But he finished school. And after school, he went on to attend a Christian university. He got a degree in Latin. Having cerebral palsy, it didn't keep him from being able to take that then and use it to teach others in a junior college. It didn't stop him from going with groups on mission trips overseas 
five times. But you know, most amazingly, Robert's disease didn't prevent him from going and becoming a missionary in Portugal. He moved to Lisbon in 1972. He rented a hotel room and he began studying Portuguese because he didn't know the language. <laughs> he found a restaurant owner that was willing to feed him after his normal working hours in the evening. He found a tutor that was willing to come to him and instruct him in the language. And you know what he did then? With all of his crippled body, he placed himself every day in a park in Lisbon. And he distributed tracts and brochures telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Within six years, there was at least 70 people that was known to have come to faith through this man's simple witness. He couldn't get in the pulpit and preach. He couldn't do so many things. He had so many excuses. But I'm saying when God said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, he was speaking to every one of us. We can find excuses. How can we take this commission, this command of our Lord seriously? First of all, by being committed that I am willing to go. I am willing to go wherever and whatever God wants of me. That's what I'll do. Do you know that Robert Reed could have been worried about so many things? Another little blessing I'll share with you. Robert Reed not only has something to do with leading at least 70 people to the Lord there in that park, but it was there in that park, passing out those gospel tracts, gospel brochures that God also brought along a young lady by the name of Rosa <laughs> to be his wife, <laughs> to join him in his ministry of going. You see, folks, how committed are we? How committed are we to going? The going isn't just to those that he wants to go to Africa or South America or any of these places that any of our missionaries are today. We need to grasp and understand, first of all and foremost, this is to each and every one of us. Each and every one of us, regardless of your age, regardless of your disabilities, regardless of your situation. We can either ignore it or we can be committed to it and we can say, here am I. Send me, Lord, if it's to my next door neighbor, if it's to the person at school, if it's to our own city center when we are down there passing out tracts here in the city where we live. Are we committed to go with the gospel to those that God would have us to go to? I can say a lot there. But not only do we need to be committed to going, but we need to be committed to giving. Go ye, notice the next words, into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. How can we take that seriously? I can't go every place in the world and give the gospel to every creature out there. I'm one person. You can't go everywhere. You can't personally preach to every creature, not all by yourself, but you can sure help in sending others. You see, we need to be committed not only to going, but to giving. Giving so that others, remember that passage this morning, how shall they preach except they be sent? Sometimes we think, well, I don't have anything to give. I'm struggling just to just to pay my bills and to make ends meet and to do the things I have to do, I can't give anymore. The following article is based on a sermon by another missionary by the name of Del Tar. He served the Lord for 14 years in West Africa. His story points out the price 
that some people are willing to pay in order to sow the seeds of the gospel in good soil. He says, I was always perplexed by Psalm 126, you know, about bearing precious seed, about weeping. He said, until I went to Sahel, that vast stretch of Savannah more than 4,000 miles wide, just under the Sahara Desert. In the Sahel, all the moisture comes in a four-month period, May, June, July, and August. After that, not a drop of rain falls for eight months. The ground cracks from the dryness, and so do your hands and your feet. The winds of the Sahara pick up the dust and throw it thousands of feet into the air, then come slowly drifting across West Africa as a, as a fine grit, gets inside your mouth, it gets inside your watch and stops it. The year's food, of course, must all be grown in those four months. People grow sorghum or milo in small fields. October and November, those are beautiful months because it's just after the harvest. The granaries are full. The harvest has come. People sing and dance. They eat two meals a day. The sorghum is ground between two stones to make flour. Then a mush with a consistency of yesterday's, well, they said cream of wheat. I'm not sure what the, the counterpart to that is here, but it's a mush Odie type thing. Sticks, the, the sticky mush is eaten hot. They roll it into little balls and between their fingers, they drop it into a bit of sauce and then pop it in their mouths. The meal lies heavy on their stomachs so they can sleep. Then December comes. The granaries start to recede. Many families start doing without the morning meal. Certainly by January, not one family in 50 is still eating two meals a day. By February, the evening meal diminishes. The meal shrinks even more during March, and children begin to suck them to sickness. You don't stay well on half a meal a day. April is the month that haunts my memory. He said, in it, you hear the babies crying in the twilight. Most of the days are, are passed with only an evening cup of gruel. Then, inevitably, it happens. A six- or seven-year-old boy comes running to his father one day with sudden excitement. Daddy, Daddy, we've got grain, he shouts. Son, you know we haven't had grain for weeks. Yes, we have, the boy insists. Out in the hut where we keep the goats, there's a, a leather sack hanging on the wall. He said, I reached up and I, I put my hand down in there. Daddy, there's, there's grain in there. Give it to Mommy so she can make flour and tonight our tummies can sleep. The father stands motionless. Son, we can't do that, he softly explains. Because that's next year's seed grain. It's the only thing between us and starvation. We're waiting for the rains, and then we must use it. The rains finally arrive in May, and when they do, the young boy watches as his father takes the, the sack from the wall and does the most unreasonable thing imaginable. Instead of feeding his desperately weakened family, he goes out into the field and with tears streaming down his face, he takes that precious seed and he throws it away. He scatters it in the dirt. Why? Because he believes in the harvest. The seed is his. He owns it. He can do anything with it that he wants. The act of sowing, it hurts so much that he cries. But as the African pastors say when they preach on Psalm 126, brothers and sisters, this is God's law of the harvest. Don't expect to rejoice later unless you've been willing to sow in tears. 
And then he asked this question. How much would it cost you to sow in tears? I don't mean just giving God something from your abundance, but finding a way to say, I believe in the harvest. And therefore, I'm going to give what makes no sense whatsoever, not to the world, at least. <laughs> the world would call it unreasonable. But I must sow regardless in order that someday I can celebrate with songs of joy the harvest. You see, so many times we get over-anxious. We live in a day of instant everything. The message that he's trying to get across is that it's vital. There will never, ever be a harvest unless the seed has been sown. And sometimes, yes, that seed can be precious. We can desperately need it right now. But it's far greater to be able to sow that seed and have the harvest later than to consume it now and have nothing. How? How can we meet this great need of missions? It's only going to happen through commitment. I'm saying commitment to somebody here this evening. Somebody. You know, the biblical churches around this world being willing to say, here am I, send me. Somebody being willing not only to go themselves, but to give that others can go so that the gospel can be preached to every creature so that it can go into all the world through them. We do that in several ways. I usually preach you a good long sermon on every year on giving. You see, we do it through our tithes. I don't mean this cruel, but I'll tell you this. I would not be a part of a church and put my money into the support of a church that did not support missions. If they didn't have a vision and a heart for getting the gospel, if that money was being used for everything else and not getting the gospel to the ends of the world, I would not be a part of it. We're responsible. That's our first way of giving of our finances is through our tithe. Not to be robbers, but to be faithful. Secondly, through our love offerings. We could look at many places. I don't have time this evening. One of the great examples there in the book of Exodus with the nation of Israel and we've looked there time before where it was God's people giving from a willing heart that the tabernacle could be built, that God's work could be carried forth. That wasn't their tithe. They'd already given their tithe. They brought of what they had. And they gave it willingly because God's work was more important than their own selfish needs. The tithe, the love offering, and yes, faith promise. You know, we had our first faith promise missions conference the first year after I came here as pastor. Most people never heard of it. Well, that's not unusual. I spent years of my own life in church never hearing of it. Do churches have to practice faith promise in order to meet this cause? No. Why do we do it? Well, first of all, because it's biblical. And I'll be glad to take God's Word and to show you just how biblical it is. Because we serve a God that's given us this task, and He knows that we're limited. And that even when we've done everything and sacrificed everything that we can, the job is still too big for you and I. But we've got to be committed. We've got to be committed to going. We've got to be committed to giving what we can give. But we've got to be willing to give beyond our own means. Do we have to have? No, but I'll tell you this, as sure as I'm standing here and speaking to you this evening, I've been a part of churches, and I've certainly seen many churches that do not practice it. And I can tell you this, looking you straight in the eye, there is not a one of them with all the good they do, 
And with all the support they give for missions, with everything they can possibly do themselves, there's not a one of them that I've ever seen accomplish what God will do through faith promise in a church that uses it to support the cause of missions worldwide. We all have limitations, but God has none. Faith promise missions is all about doing what we can't do. It's about God doing through us what's impossible for us. That's a big step of faith. That's why it's called faith promise. They can read 2 Corinthians chapters 8, 9, and 10. I wish we had time this evening, but we don't. I'm saying to you, it's vital. Why do we do it? Because God has given us the way to do it. Because it's biblical. Because it works. And I've never seen anything that man can do within his own means. If we begin to grasp and understand what God will do through us. He tells us clearly in his word, it's not so that you can be hurt. You ought to be doing everything that you can do anyway for the cause of reaching the lost. It's seeing God do what you can't do by being faithful and honest. Let God do through you what you can't do yourself. Is it necessary, preacher? To make a promise, is it necessary to fill out those little slips? I realize I'm probably, what's the saying, singing to the choir tonight? <laughs> no, you're just as much a Christian without it, and you can support missions without it. But you see, it comes back to this thing we're talking about right here, this little thing called commitment. Because I'll promise you this, and I believe that you can search it out for yourself if you want to. And again, there is not, with all the love in the world, a church that is not practicing faith promise, that is accomplishing for the cause of God what those that are practicing it. You see, that little slip is not a pledge. It's not something that you put your name on. It's not something you say to me. But what I'm saying to you, how can God's work be done? Be willing to commit. Be willing not just to say, well, I'll do what I can. I'll do it when I can. I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm saying be willing to get on your face before God and find out what God wants to do and trust him to do it because he will. And I'm saying be willing. That commitment is between you and God. Oh, yes, it helps the church. <laughs> Peter and I have talked a number of times. The reality is is that we never really know from the slips because some people don't fill them out anyway. Well, thank God they give in spite of it. I'm, you do what you can for missions. I'm just trying to help you this evening. I'm promising you this. Don't be afraid to commit to God. Faith promise is a commitment between you and God that once you've done everything that you can for his cause, you're willing to say, God, okay, <laughs> I got nothing. Is there something you want to do? And trust him to do it. You see, we need to be committed. We need to be committed. How can we get the job done? Well, by being committed to going, to giving, and to guarding. <laughs> to guarding. What are you talking about, preacher? Well, he tells us in this same promise, in another gospel, he says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. I could spend a lot of time there. The simple truth is, look around you folks. We live in a nation that at one time sent missionaries to the end of the world. But a nation that today itself, for the most part, has turned away from that very God. They didn't guard what they had. They didn't guard the truth. They didn't contend for the faith that we've been talking about you see, the reality is we can send our money and we can send all those people out there everywhere. But if we don't guard the foundation, if we don't say strong, a number of things are going to happen. Number one is those foundations get weaker. There's going to be less and less missionaries that are being called out. There's going to be less and less that's being given. And the reality is that many of those mission calls have become so weak because they don't stand for anything. 
And that work which they're doing, though it may be compassionate and good, it's not accomplishing the command that God has given us here and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. I'm saying we've got to be committed to go. Here am I, Lord, send me. I'm willing and mean it with all of our hearts. We've got to be committed to giving, to do everything that we can, weeping over it, give until it hurts. And then we've got to be willing to give beyond ourselves and let God do what only he can do. We've got to be willing to guard, to stand firm upon the truth here and on the foreign fields, to make sure that we're supporting mission works that are teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, to make sure that the foundations stay firm so that that work continues on and on and on. They're all important, and we can list many other things. But I'm saying to you, your first step, your first step, Take some real commitment. And don't think that's going to come by itself. Don't think that it's going to come easy. I'm trying to share my heart with you this evening. God has given us a great task. There is nothing in all this world that's more important. But if we're going to really, if we're going to really accomplish that task, somebody, somebody out there, Somebody somewhere is going to have to be committed. It'll be done in our commitment, and it'll also be done in our cooperation. What do you mean, preacher? Well, first of all, that's why we're doing it as a church. As a body of believers, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Ye, all of you, plural. You as an individual, yes. But as a body of believers... Can we not do more for the cause of Christ together as a unit than any one of us individually, singly, going out there and taking the world on all by ourselves? If you've got to do it by yourself, be willing to do it by yourself. But if you can be a part of brothers and sisters in Christ that are willing to bind themselves together, you as one body, around a common cause, around the common truth, that we can accomplish much, much more. And I'll just point this out to you. That even goes with your giving. You're just like, just like me, I'm sure. How many times, how many times are you asked to give to such a good cause? And there's so many good causes. And sometimes it is so hard. I can't give to every cause that's out there. I'm saying to you, there's nothing wrong with giving to a good cause, but the cause that ought to be absolute top of your list, foremost, above everything else, is the cause of Christ. You can take them all the food and all the clothes and all the engineering in the world, but without Christ, there's going to be no harvest. Without Christ, in the end, they're going to be part of those that will be damned for all of eternity. Make sure we're giving to the causes that will give them eternity, not just now. Yes, we need to meet people's needs. Yes, we need to meet them where they are. Yes, we ought to have compassion for that. But to give them the greatest gift of all. You realize that, again, I won't take time to turn. You can look it out for yourself. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 7, the Bible says to bring your tithe where? Into the storehouse. Into the storehouse. In God's house, if you look there. You can look back in Exodus chapter 35, and you find that if you look there, we won't read all of it. We'll read just a few of the verses. In Exodus chapter 35, notice how this begins in verse 1. And Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and said unto them, These are the words which the Lord hath commanded, that ye should do them. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day there shall be to you an holy day, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whosoever doeth work therein shall be put to death. Ye shall kindle no fire throughout your habitations upon the Sabbath day. And Moses spake unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, 
Take ye from among you an offering unto the Lord. Whosoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it an offering of the Lord, gold and silver and brass. Not only does he tell us to bring the tithe into the storehouse, folks, the love offerings were being brought into God's house as well. And faith promise. You turn there, and again, you can read all three of those chapters, and I'm, I'm, I'm always happy and excited to sit down and to try to, to share those passages with anybody. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, notice in the first four verses, though, he says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the, what's that word? Churches of Macedonia the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we should receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints, the churches were begging. You read on down through those chapters, and you know what you'll find? It's the churches of Macedonia. It's the church of Achaia here at, at Corinth. You see, I'm saying that if we're going to accomplish this, it's not going to be done. It begins with individuals. But it begins then with those individuals taking that next step and cooperating together with those of like precious faith, and being able to accomplish together. And you know what's something else? You can take and you can send the money yourself to all those causes out there. You know what will get in the way if you're not careful? Not a bad thing to give, is it? They know. Oh, wow. Do you know that Larry Curtis sent us 100 pounds? He sent us 200 pounds. He sent us this great gift. Well, you know, when Bethel Free Baptist Church sends that same gift, it's not Larry Curtis or Peter Taylor. It's not any of your names that I could call here this evening. It's the church, the body of Christ, that gets the glory. We need to grasp these things. These truths run right through everything that we do. We talked not long ago. James chapter 5. You know, not the healer, individual that getting the glory, but the elders of the church, plural. The body of Christ. Christ himself gets all the glory. So I'm saying to you that not only is it going to require commitment, but it's going to require cooperation. Us working together. Us doing together. Not being worried about who gives what and me gives. You know, it's not a matter, and he teaches you, and he tells you plainly when he's talking to the church at Corinth. You don't be comparing yourself amongst yourselves and saying, oh, what so-and-so's doing and what so-and-so's doing. As a body, each one doing their part together, the work of God will be accomplished for his glory. Not only cooperation within our local church, but with other like-minded churches You'll also find there in 2 Corinthians, if you're reading through, yes, it was the churches in Macedonia. Yes, it was the church at Achaia. Yes, it was these churches, plural, that were working together because, you see, the simple fact is, again, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We can't do that. One person can accomplish that entire task themselves, but together we can. Maybe, even out of this congregation here this evening, do you think that you're too old or that you're too young? Do you think that you're uneducated enough or educated in the wrong areas? Do you think that you're anything that God can't use this evening? What it really comes down to is do you think that you're something that you don't want God to use you? There is not an individual here this evening that is beyond God using you. If you are willing with all of your heart, genuinely, maybe for the first time in your life, to say, Lord, here am I. Send me. Lord, here am I. I want to be able to, to sow my seed in the right place, that there can be a harvest of souls, not just a harvest of 
<laughs> some more interest in the bank. <laughs> Harvest of souls. Those that can li have life eternal instead of damnation for eternity. Fact is, God can use you. But what if this evening God showed you that he wanted you to go somewhere? Well, the simple truth is, is that maybe, just maybe, God would send you somewhere, but we as a single church would not have the financial means amongst ourselves to be able to make that possible. But yet, just like the many missionaries that we support right back there that line that wall together with other churches, we can't pay all of their support, but we can do our part. And another church can do their part. And another church can do their part. And another church can do their part until where these missionaries are able to go to the ends of the world and to preach the gospel. I'm saying that it's vital. Do you really want to see God's work done? Then I'm asking you, do you want to see it done well enough that you're willing to make a commitment to going, to giving, to guarding? Do you want to see it happen bad enough that you're willing to cooperate with your brothers and sisters in Christ that are just as serious about these truths and about guarding these foundations that we are? You see, it's not just important that we send money. It's important that we invest it in the right places. We try to be careful for you folks. There's a lot of missionaries out there that are doing good work. But there's missionaries that we try to support as a church that we can be confident that they would feel comfortable being a part of this church and you would feel comfortable if you went to that work that they were doing and the teaching all things whatsoever I've commanded you, you would feel comfortable because it was the truth. It wasn't false doctrine. It wasn't something that ought not to be. Cooperation. Corporately together. And I want to give you one third one. It'll be done through our commitment, through our cooperation. It'll be done through our communication. <laughs> through our communication. And the most important communication at all is God communicating to you through His Word. You don't do these things on emotion. You don't do them on the sad stories and sob stories that sometimes are very real and they ought to break our hearts. It's through God communicating to you. You better know with absolute certainty when you say, I'm willing to pack my bag and go wherever God wants me to go, you better be serious, but you better make sure that you're going where God wants you to go, not where you want to go. Prayer. I'd like to read you a poem. It says, Last night I took a journey to a land far across the seas. I didn't go by boat or plane. I trusted on my knees. I saw so many people there in deepest depths of sin. And Jesus told me I should go, that there were souls to win. But I said, Jesus, I can't go and work with such as these. He answered quickly, yes, you can, by traveling on your knees. He said, you pray, I'll meet the need. You call, and I will hear. Be concerned about lost souls of those both far and near. And so I tried it, knelt in prayer, gave up some hours of ease. I felt the Lord right by my side while traveling on my knees. As I prayed on and saw souls saved and twisted bodies healed, and saw God's workers' strength renewed while laboring on the field. I said, yes, Lord, I have a job. My desire, thy will to please. I can go and heed thy call by traveling on my knees. Chances are God won't call every one of you here this evening. He's called us all to go. Chances are he's not going to call all of you to pack up and go off to South America or Africa tomorrow. But God has called us to be a part of the ministries 
in all of those places to the very ends of the world. And I'm saying that regardless of where we go physically, regardless of what we give, and regardless of what we guard and how strong we stand, regardless of who we cooperate with in order to to see God's Word done as we do it together as a body of Christ here and with those of like precious faith, I'm saying that there's still the need of prayer. Wherever you fit into all of that, it's all worthless without the power of God upon it. We need to pray. We need to pray for ministry. You see, the first thing you need to pray for this evening is God, not what do you want me to do? You know, so many times we ask these stupid questions. You ever feel like your kids ask a pretty dumb question? You ever feel like your parents ask pretty dumb questions? Or your spouse? Sometimes people ask us questions and we kind of scratch our heads, you know, well, what's that all about? We do that a lot of times. Lord, what do you want me to do? He's already told you, go and preach the gospel to every creature. Everyone, that's the go. He hasn't left you out of that, whoever you are. The only real question is where? (laughs) Is it here or is it somewhere else? And I'll tell you this, don't think that if you pack up your bag and head off to some far end of the world somewhere that you're going to start doing what you're not already doing here. If you're not faithful here, you're not going to be faithful there. If you're not winning souls here, you're not going to go there and start winning souls. The go begins in Jerusalem. For you, that's in Birmingham right here this evening. Lord, what do you want to do with me? Where do you want to use me? Everybody here ought to be faithful and active in the things of our church and in every area of your life and being a witness and trying to win the loss to Christ. There's always things that can come up and things that can get in the way. That's why I'm saying it's never going to happen until we get committed, until we start working together to see it happen, until we start communing with God and finding out His will and what He wants and have His hand upon it. How often do you earnestly pray before God, what does He want to do with your life right now? Where does He want to use you? How does He want to use you in accomplishing this winning the loss to Christ? And you need to be praying for the ministries of those that have already gone. Because to give them the money to go to the field and then to forget about them is a pretty wicked thing to do. Just because they've got your money don't mean they can accomplish God's work. If this work is going to be accomplished, it's going to take some communication with God. It's going to take some time on our knees. Regardless of where we are and how we're being used, yes, to find God's will for our life, but to pray for all those that are out there serving Him wherever they are in this world. For ministry, for our ministry, for their ministries, for the missionaries. Do you call our missionaries by name? Do you pray for their needs specifically? You see, the Bible also tells us that when Jesus looked on the fields, we looked at that passage this morning, and he had compassion upon them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. What was it he said next? Pray ye, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers for whose harvest? For his harvest. Simple truth is, how earnestly are we praying for God to send forth laborers out of our church, out of those others out there that have got that same truth? We need to be praying for more missionaries, and we need to be praying for the missionaries that have already been called And you know what? Even in that matter of giving, you need to be praying for ministry, for missionaries, and for money. (laughs) You need to pray for wisdom and guidance in what you already have. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with praying for more money. (laughs) If you're praying for more money for the right reasons, 
You're praying that God would do more through you. Lord, you can trust me. You can trust me. Would you please send me more? I'm doing all I can. Please send me more. I've said this time and time again. I don't take it lightly. When we ask you to commit to your missions giving for the next year, not only to what you'll do through love offerings of what you can set down and calculate and figure out, what you can sacrifice, what you can give out of your abundance, but what you're willing to trust God for. Time and time and time again, I say, don't let me or any of these missionaries or anybody else get you to do something just based on your emotions. I hope they do get a hold of your emotions. I hope that we can get a hold of a bit of their burden and their vision and what God's doing with them and and feel what they're feeling for those people that God's called them to. But I've encouraged you, communicate with God. Find out what God wants to do. This is not about what you can do. It's about praying earnestly before God, praying for God to show you. And then let me tell you something. If you've been faithful enough to step out by faith and promise to give to this work of missions more than what you can see can happen, you're pretty foolish if you don't spend time on your knees praying for God and make that happen. Day by day, commit it to God. You see, money's not evil. It's just the root of all evil. It takes money to do God's work. There's nothing wrong for praying for it in the right way. We need to be doing that. In closing this evening, the why and how of missions. Why should we be involved? Why should you be involved? How can you be involved? Well, why? Because it's commanded. We said, first of all, that love that constraineth us, don't you sit there or stand there and say, I love God, and then not be willing to obey Him. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If we really love God, because it's commanded, because it's compassionate, we really do care if those people are going to go to hell or not. We really do care of their destiny because it's Christian. If we're going to take the name of Jesus Christ, we're going to identify ourselves as His people, as His followers, as those that imitate Him. How can we do that? and not be concerned with doing all we can to win the loss to Christ. Folks, I can't overemphasize it. That's not to make you feel bad this evening. That's to hopefully get you to grasp the vision of what God wants, one of the greatest privileges in the world, is leading someone to Christ. We need to be busy about the Father's business. How? Well, it's going to begin with our commitment whether it's something we're really committed to or not, because if we're not, there's going to be plenty of reasons not to, plenty of excuses that will come along, plenty of things that will get us sidetracked. Are we willing, like Caesar, to burn the ships? Or what's the saying? To burn those bridges behind us where we can't go back. Are we willing to embark upon what? This mission that God has sent us on with no retreat. We're going forth to conquer. That takes commitment. That doesn't come by accident. But that's what it's going to require because without that commitment, that commitment to go, to be willing to go wherever God wants you to, to do whatever He wants you to do, that commitment to give, to give in all the ways that God has made possible that you can go to the ends of the world, not just personally, but through these other people that are willing to go, that you can have a part in that for each one of those souls that are saved, that you're committed to guarding the truth, to guarding the foundations, that his work can continue on until he returns through cooperating together, working together to see God's work done, not for the preacher's glory, not for your glory, but for His glory alone. And yes, 
through communication. Will you honestly pray? Will you pray for the ministry that God would have? God has definitely got a place for you. Will you pray about that place, what God wants you to do? Will you pray for more missionaries, for God to call people out of our church and out of those other churches out there to be willing to go to the ends of the world? And will you pray for those that are out there serving him? Will you pray for the money, the finances, that it not get us, but do we use it for his glory? You see, I'm going to give you one final question. We see the why and the how. There's one question I want to leave you with this evening. What? What do you want from me, God? Don't worry about what God wants from the person beside you. Don't worry about what God wants from anybody else. I'm saying, are you willing this evening to say, Lord, what do you want from me? What do you want to do with me? Because no excuse you have is good enough. No excuse will stand up to God. There's nothing, there's nothing you can put forward that's impossible with our God. I give you this final little story that I read from one of SIM's magazines. He said, but for me personally, being anything but a missionary would be second best. Perhaps a story I recall hearing years ago explains it best. Seems the old Standard Oil Company offered an enormous sum of money to a missionary in China to work for them to help with the development of Standard Oil, Standard Oil in China. The missionary turned them down. Well, then they came back and they doubled the salary offer to him. He turned them down again. They said, what do you want? We can't possibly give you more money than that. It's crazy money already. He said the money doesn't have anything to do with it. The job is too small. The job is too small. He already had the best job he could have the biggest job that he could have, serving the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm saying, I don't care what you've got in this world. I don't care what it's doing for you. The job's too small in comparison to what God can do with you. You know what God will do with you and through you if you really, genuinely, would just put these simple principles into practice. If you'll go to him this evening and say, Lord, I don't know about anybody else in this place, but here am I. Here am I. Send me. Do with me whatever you want and mean it. And put these simple principles into life. I want to promise you, there's not a bigger job out there. There's not a better paying job out there. There's not a more fulfilling job out there. Matter of fact, there is nothing out there in the world that can compare to knowing and all your weaknesses and all your failings and all those excuses that you can come up with by God's grace. He can and will use you if you'll truly just give yourself to Him. Father, I thank you this evening. I thank you, Lord, that as we look in here, Lord, I, I know that I have skimmed so many things that I've just, just passed over so quickly this evening. I hope and pray that somehow that, Lord, you can take these simple thoughts. You can encourage these people here tonight. You can encourage those that may listen to it later. Lord, that there is a phenomenal job to do. Lord, there's such huge reasons as to why we need to be about this business. Lord, there's a way for it to be accomplished. You didn't give us a job. Oh, it's impossible with us, but nothing is impossible with you. I pray that you'd encourage and show each of these individuals, Lord, the greatness of your work, the greatness of being involved in it, 
Help them not to be distracted, not to be willing to take second best with their lives. Help them to be willing to give themselves to you. Father, I know. I know your truth, and your truth stands firm. Lord, that you can do with everyone here this evening, you can do your work through them. Lord, I pray that you'd help us. I pray, Lord, that as we approach our missions conference this Wednesday through Sunday, I pray that you'd help our people, Lord, to be faithful, to be here, to be a part of these days with these missionaries that are coming by that have already given themselves to you, that are, that are serving you. And, Lord, that we would listen with open hearts to what you have for us. Lord, I can remember all those years ago as a 20-something-year-old young man It was in a simple local church mission conference just like this one, Lord, that you spoke to our hearts by your grace. Lord, help us to feel the compassion that you have. Lord, help us to be willing with all that there is around us to get our attention, to get our loyalties. Help us to be committed to this, the most important thing in all the world, Help us to be able to use the principles that you've given us to see this work accomplished. Lord, I thank you for each of the missionaries that are coming to be with us this week. We thank you for Brother Rawls that's coming to pour his heart out. Lord, a man that could easily have used his excuses and retired years ago. Lord, his love and his commitment to you brings him to us once again this year. I pray, Lord, I pray that you would do great things through this local body. I pray that you would do that which is even beyond our imagination. Lord, I pray that you would use us to see your great work accomplished, that souls both here and to the very ends of the world might be won into your kingdom and be prevented from that eternal damnation that faces them without Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.